Thanks for tuning in to Digital Marketing Musings. Today, we're joined by Melissa Riley and Christina Venieri to talk about insights from some recent Merkle publications, the 2021 Q3 Digital Media Report and the 2022 Q1 Media Insights Report. I can't believe we're talking about uh, the end of 2021 and the beginning of 2022. This year has just completely flown by, and this is actually our last episode of our season. So just crazy, crazy, crazy. It is crazy, right? Um, We will be back in the new year with our regular predictions episode for 2022 and give a preview of all the exciting topics that we have planned out for next season. To introduce our our guests today, Melissa Riley is an Associate Director of Marketing Communications at Merkle. Uh, She's been in performance marketing for over 12 years now, managing paid search accounts at Merkle, primarily in the retail vertical. Christina Venieri is a director of media strategy at Merkle, specializing in consumer insights and driving cross-channel marketing strategies for her clients. Welcome to the show, Melissa and Christina. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having me back. (laughs) So Melissa, starting off with some historical trends from the DMR, um, we talked about a surge in online competition in many channels uh, with the in-store shopping, uh, dipping during COVID, uh, and then how is this playing out in the most recent quarters for us? Yeah, so the short answer is we're seeing tons of competition across pretty much every channel. Um, So just to provide some context as to why that is, um, during the start of the pandemic last year, as I'm sure we all remember, um, almost all shopping activity moved completely online. Um, And so with that, businesses were also forced to pivot uh, to be able to meet customers where they were. Um, And that included some businesses that had never really had an e-commerce presence before. Um, So if we fast forward to this year, then even though there's more in-store shopping happening, we do have all these new players online um, and they're competing for ad space with, you know, everyone that was already in e-commerce before. Um, And so with that increased uh, pool of people fighting for ads, we're seeing really high CPC and CPM year over year. Um, And to put that, I guess, into some data points, When we look at paid search, we saw a 41% year-over-year increase, um, and that was across Google and Microsoft, that was across devices, that was across shopping and text, it was pretty much everywhere. Um, And just for comparison's sake, looking historically, up until the pandemic, our year-over-year CPC increases were consistently in the single digits. So 41% is is significant for sure. Yeah, that seems like quite quite the jump. It's a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. And it, there's the tough thing for advertisers is, you know, there's not really anything. I mean, there are things you can do about it. You can be smarter with your targeting. You can, you know, leverage first party data as much as possible, but you still want to compete in those spaces. And the reality for people is that it's just more expensive. Um, and so it might be harder for, for companies to meet their ROI goals and things like that. But um, and it's not just in paid search either. Like I said, it's it's pretty pervasive. So um, looking at Amazon, uh, two of their ad formats, sponsored products and sponsored brands, um, on those we saw a 43% increase year over year and a 76% increase year over year, respectively. So um, again, wow. you know, we had all, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot. Um, but, you know, like I was saying with paid search, we had a lot of new businesses coming online during the pandemic. Um, and Amazon is a, a pretty attractive platform for that. Um, 
you don't need to build out your own site. You can pretty well operate within the confines of Amazon. Um, so I think there are a lot of new players there um, as well that are competing for uh, for ad space. So all of this is kind of making me wonder, how is this impacting emerging channels like social commerce and then also advertisers' appetite for investing in new sources of relevant consumers? Um, so from what I've seen, there's definitely more of an appetite for um, more emerging channels. Um, so one, one place I didn't touch on yet, and that was Facebook um, within the social space. Uh, we saw 46% year-over-year increases in CPM there. Instagram saw 11% year-over-year increases, um, which doesn't sound like a lot, but they're usually seeing year-over-year decreases. So um, any increase okay. at all, yeah, any increase at all outside mm -hmm. of Q4 is pretty unusual there. Um but, but yeah, I think with that, advertisers are looking to diversify their social approach a, a bit more. Um, and there are, you know, a lot of new platforms that are, or platforms that have been around, but they're starting to offer more and more commerce opportunities. So um, I think it's, it's getting easier for brands to kind of onboard and diversify, which is great, um, you know, given the timing with the, the increases. Um, Christina, I don't know if you had anything you wanted to add there. Yeah, I mean... I think kind of just to build on some of that, consumers are spending even more time, more money on social commerce, which then kind of accelerates and drives the platforms themselves to continue to expand their offerings, grow, kind of evolve their offerings as well. And so we actually see a couple of things happening. So first, these platforms, you know, TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, Pinterest, they're all growing what they can offer to advertisers um, and really to keep consumers engaged, but they're also actually offering more and kind of new ways for brands and creators to engage with each other. Um, so we kind of see it from both sides. One, they're growing and kind of trying to build off of this idea of content and community in platform for the actual end users. Um, and then on the other side, we're seeing more opportunities. I think TikTok is a great example of how um, of how platforms are better enabling those brand and creator communications. So um, in their recent TikTok world, they started to announce some of these areas where you can first start to identify these creators or influencers that would be good brand partners for you, you know, as a brand. Um, but then it goes to the next level even where, all right, we've identified this new creator that we want to partner with. Now we're actually building content together um, and we have kind of this space within TikTok to collaborate, to create these new you know, posts or videos or anything like that and make sure that both parties are on the same page. Um, I would call out Instagram also. I think they're doing some really kind of interesting things. They have this new um, like collab opportunity. So basically both the brand and the creator, or if it's two brands working together, both of them would then get that kind of authorship credit. Um, and so you're actually taking advantage of both both brands or brand and creators audience set. So there's more visibility, kind of more engagement overall. Mm -hmm. So we're really starting to see a lot of growth in like the type of ways that everyone can engage with, with and on social commerce. 
I don't know if we would have any stats around this, but maybe you have an opinion to share. I've seen um, NPR had, at least for, I think it was Planet Money, had hired their own TikTok creator kind of in-house to create all this content for them. How frequent is it that we're seeing these companies or, or businesses hiring in-house for that creator role versus um, just partnering with um, these creators that are already existing out in the ether on, on these platforms? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I don't have a stat for that uh, specifically, but I think we see both kind of happening. I think it takes a brand to have a truly creative vision um, and they really have to know what they want from, I think TikTok in particular, that is kind of unique because you can't just go on TikTok and try to sell a product or a service. You really have to have an authentic voice on it and kind of drive engagement first and foremost. So if you have a really specific or unique voice that you want out there on TikTok, maybe they are going and hiring someone to do that in-house. Um, but I do see a lot of a lot of brands, I think a lot of our clients even, are starting to partner with creators or influencers um, that either have a following already on TikTok or they're well-known and, and they would be relevant for that audience. And they're working together to create something that they know will be engaging. Maybe it's already seen some success, you know, by working with this creator on a different social media platform, or they have a really strong following somewhere else. So they know there's, you know, a little tried and true um, practice going on there. Um, so, Melissa, let's talk about COVID's impact on digital media a little bit more. So, how are consumer behaviors impacting other metrics that we've seen across our advertiser set? Um, so, like, if there's anything around shopper behavior aligning to COVID case numbers or, you know, mobile usage rates being higher than ever, is there is there anything else to share from that perspective? Yeah, I think a big one that you called out is um, is shopper behavior kind of changing depending on what's happening with COVID. So um, looking at Q3 in particular, we saw some interesting trends from month to month within the quarter. Um, so what we'd expect to see at this point um, is if people are feeling a little bit less safe, um, less willing to venture out, uh, that we might see more online activity happening for retail um, versus, you know, in-store. Um, and we might see less online activity for travel with people unwilling to really move mm -hmm. about as freely. Um, and that is what we saw when we looked within Q3. So um, in July and August, we saw some stronger or um, excuse me, some weaker year-over-year -year comps for retail. Um, you know, as people were getting out and about, case numbers were a little bit more stabilized. Um, and then come September, we actually saw uh, online year-over-year -year performance for retail increase. And the hypothesis there is that um, perhaps people were turning more online uh, as the Delta variant became more prominent ac across the country. Um, and then within travel, we saw kind of the opposite trend. So um, in the summer months, we saw stronger year-over-year -year performance. Uh, people were getting out, taking those vacations that they had maybe put off for a while. Um, and then in September, we saw weaker year-over-year -year performance in travel um, as there was maybe a little bit more hesitancy around um, 
traveling, taking vacations with Delta. Um, I do want to note that this is really just like a correlation observation type relationship. <laughs> um, there are certainly other factors that could have been at play, things like seasonality. Um, and so we can't say for sure that uh, COVID numbers really caused the, per the behavior that we saw, but I just thought it was interesting to note that um, the trends we observed aligned with what we expected might happen based on um, what had happened in 2020. Yeah, I was going to ask, it might be a stretch, but I don't know if holiday shopping has expanded so far early that it's now affecting September, but given all the supply chain shortages, maybe um, people were trying to really stock up early and ensure that they had holiday gifts or a holiday shopping completed. Yeah, I think it's definitely possible. I don't have any data around it, unfortunately, but um you know, last year, I think people remember well last year uh, what happened with some of the, the shipping issues um, and wanted to avoid a repeat of that. Um, and the, the supply chain issues, I think, were really well publicized heading into the holiday season this year um, to the point that consumers were potentially altering their behavior as a result of it. So uh, that could certainly be a factor as well. Cool. Well, shifting gears to one topic I'm really, really excited to talk about coming from our Media Insights report, uh, Gen Alpha. So Christina, I know you have some thoughts around here, um, but could you start off by just defining what segment of the population Gen Alpha covers and why we're starting to talk about them as a significant uh, consumer set? Yeah, definitely. So Gen Alpha is really the next generation of consumers. So they're about 11 years old and younger. So you might be thinking, whoa, 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 like way too young. What are we doing talking about them yet? Um, but this generation is still growing. And I think what is so important about them is they actually have a pretty significant influence on a lot of purchases. So don't worry, we are still talking about Gen Z. We still care about Gen Z. Actually, I just read Gen Z was one of like the most Googled terms, I think, over the past year. Um, we still care about other generations, too, because like ultimately, these are all part of our brand's consumer base. Um, but we're talking about Gen Alpha today because of their current influence and really growing influence on purchases. Um, and they're growing up in this very unique time. Um, they are kind of experiencing digital from the very, you know, early stages of life. Um, you know, they're exposed to media and influencers. They continue to age up, and really, we expect their influence on purchases will just continue to grow. Yeah, I, it makes me. It makes me think about the fact that this is the age group that um, like just got vaccine eligibility and so like families looking to travel to Disney or whatever like they're the that consumer set is really primed at this point in history to, to impact um, shopper behavior yeah and I think like the fact that Gen Alpha is in front of screen I think that they are in front of screens more often and really earlier than any other generations, I think that's going to have a huge impact on how marketers reach them in the future, how we should be talking to them and, and thinking about, you know, any way that we're really engaging with them. Um, you know, you mentioned, 
getting excited for Disney because kids haven't been able to do that in the past two years. I think Mm -hmm. the pandemic will have really kind of shifted how, maybe not, not even shifted, but just influenced how Gen Alpha relies on digital formats. Um, You know, think about how they've had to use digital to really interact with, with everyone, with schoolmates um, to do homework. They watch and stream online videos. They're, you know, involved in digital gaming, the metaverse, like all of these things are becoming kind of a standard way of life for them. So I think their demand for tech innovation, their demand for really strong online experiences will be even higher than we've seen even for Gen Z and millennials. Um, And so I think that just kind of moves the needle even higher for what brands need to what they need to do and how we need to excel in order to keep gen alpha really really engaged um you know i I think there there could be a couple of examples across some verticals um you know gen alpha is kind of like eating up all of this youtube content so that could be a great way for retailers to kind of plug in. They're very used to like seeing influencers. I know like there are huge YouTube influencers for the Gen Alpha group. Um, Fiserv, as an example. That's crazy to think if they're 11 years old and they have <laughs> yeah. YouTube influencers. Like at 11, I was like, if I, well, I mean, I was able to tie my shoes, but like I was out like skinning my knee and like that sort of thing, like not creating YouTube content. I know. So like instead of us watching live TV and looking forward to like the latest episode on a Friday evening, Gen Alpha is going straight to YouTube and they're looking for the latest episode. Yeah. So it's it's just kind of a shift in what and how they're consuming um, all of this content. Um but yeah, it's it's going to be a really important space. I think we see a lot of brands already starting to figure out how do we talk to, how do we engage with this audience? You know, obviously there's still this kind of parental guidance and oversight for them. So brands have to be doing it in a smart and safe way. Um, but, but we're definitely starting to see that influence. I think Roblox is a great example of where Gen Alpha is spending a lot of time. You know, they're gaming, they're kind of in these virtual playgrounds of sorts. And there's an opportunity for, for kids to be shopping through Roblox. They can buy digital apparel or digital sneakers or, you know, check into these different kind of retail spaces and see what's available. Um, so whether, whether a brand is doing it or not, kids are starting to see and kind of interact with some of these spaces already. I think that's a, a great transition to my next question for you, Christina. So, um, as you just alluded to, like the topic on everyone's mind and digital today is gaming. Um, and gamers is such a huge and diverse interest group and, and set of consumers, but can you talk a bit more about how we're seeing the impact of gaming play out in the trends that we're, we're seeing heading into 2022? Sure. So I, I think what you said, like this is a huge and diverse group of, of consumers is really important. Um, you know, like the gaming world, it's not just for hardcore gamers. It's for social gamers and casual gamers. It's, you know, 
their interests are really extending beyond just gaming. Um, in the report, we highlight a couple of those, you know, sports, music, food, lifestyle. Um, it, it's really just another kind of area of interest. It, it's not necessarily someone's full identity. Um, and so we see gaming grow really across generations, which means marketers have a chance to reach you know, most likely a subset of their consumers in some way through gaming. Um, so as a couple of examples, Gen Z and millennials are spending about seven hours a week gaming. Gen X and baby boomers, sure, may not be as much, but still spending about two and a half hours a week. Um, and just as a reminder, when we talk about gaming, we mean mobile gaming, you know, PC gaming, and console gaming so it's well this is kind of making me remember i think melissa you had mentioned that your mom is actually a gamer technically by this definition <laughs> yeah exactly i was actually going to jump in um <laughs> and just echo the point about the diversification of this audience um just looking at like my own family um i personally dabble in some online video games um, maybe like a few hours a month, so not anything, uh, you know, too hardcore. Um, then there's like my partner and he's a little bit more involved and he uses Discord and gets more involved with like the, the community aspect of it. Um, and then as you said, my mom uh, plays, you know, words with friends against her, her friends and relatives and things like that. Um, and even though none of us really look like what has historically been thought of as a gamer, we're all part of the gamer audience and, um, you know, brands have opportunities to reach each of us in the platforms that we use um, in different ways. So, yeah, I, I think that's a, a really important point that it's not just what you'd historically think of as gamers anymore with so many different um, platforms and types of games available to people across devices. Yeah, and you mentioned mobile. Mobile is is probably one of the biggest platforms right now for gaming. Almost 90% of digital gamers are playing in some way on mobile. So that like that can turn into a really great way to reach this audience. And you know, like Melissa, you, you mentioned your mom is playing mobile games. I mean, across generations, mobile is consistently the highest um, platform for gaming. Um, so really, there's there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, I would say another really important trend related to gaming is this kind of aspect of community. Um, and I think the pandemic has helped to accelerate and and grow the adoption of gaming in in a way. I think especially as digital communities and connection have have become more of a priority and have really obviously turned more towards these digital formats. So I mentioned Roblox, um, but I, I think a lot of these kind of metaverse leaning avenues are ways to start to engage with people um, and connect with, with others in a digital and virtual kind of playground or virtual community area. Um, and then there's also a lot of live streaming opportunities. So people are tuning in, they're watching other people live stream, they're engaging, they're asking questions. Um, you're starting to build kind of a network or a community with other gamers and and 
share, hey, I learned how to do this, or, you know, can you give me some tips on how to do something? Um, So there's also a lot of that kind of creator opportunity where you have essentially like a gaming influencer who's driving a lot of a lot of this content um so that's kind of another area for brands to start to consider and stepping back you've referenced the metaverse for those of us who've you know been hearing this uh term being thrown around more recently can you just describe what it is and how this relates to the gaming evolution (laughs) yeah so I mean, I think the metaverse, it's really an extension or kind of an evolution on the idea of like community and connection, but in a digital first space. Um, And I think the metaverse, conversation around the metaverse has just exploded after Facebook's rebrand to meta. I think that has, it obviously existed before that big announcement, but it has just accelerated and everyone is talking about the metaverse now. Um, there were definitely some developments before this. So Oculus, which which is a Facebook brand, Roblox, Minecraft, Epic Games, like there have been plenty of other players that have started to kind of build their own version or idea of the metaverse. Um, And so I think what is so interesting about the metaverse is we've kind of started to think of it first as this gaming area, but it's really evolving beyond that. And it's much, it's much more inclusive or or comprehensive. Um, And so there's elements of entertainment and social experiences. Um, For example, Fortnite has hosted a variety of artists and held mm. virtual concerts, Marshmallow, Ariana Grande. Um, you can travel the world on Oculus. You can watch basketball games. Um, so there's a lot of these kind of unique or different experiences that can happen in the metaverse now. It's not exclusive to gaming, really. Um, and it's a place to, that you can interact with other people. Um, you can kind of change your avatar, you can make purchases. Um, so really it it's kind of, it goes beyond just gaming now. It's concert venues, it's offices, it's virtual communities. Um, so there's kind of a lot of evolution. And I, I think this is just the beginning. We'll, we'll see even more updates and changes and, and new definitions for what the metaverse is in months and, and years to come. So going back to the trends that um, we're seeing with Gen Alpha and and Gen Z, what are, um, you know, these generations, as you referenced, they're brought up with a digital world right at their fingertips. How are they impacting the gaming world and and pushing how this metaverse is incorporated into, you know, their real life? Yeah, so, I mean, both Gen Alpha and Gen Z are growing up with tech literally at their fingertips. Um, I think Gen Alpha especially will be accustomed to having advanced tech. So things like AI, machine learning, biometrics, like these will be in every modern device that they interact with. Um, So when we think about generations and gaming or the metaverse, I think their comfort with things like 
digital currencies um, or NFTs, you know, essentially assigning value to something virtual, I think these will all just be a given. Um, it will feel so seamless to them that it's, it could almost be like an extension of their identity. So, you know, I think we talked a lot about different aspects or reasons to care about gaming and the metaverse and, and how these are all kind of coming back to our audience. Um, but ultimately, these are all opportunities to continue to engage with audiences, especially Gen Alpha and Gen Z. Um, and it's it's just going to be another area that they're, they're engaged with very early on and they're going to be so comfortable with it that brands also need to figure out how do we how do we get comfortable with it what does that mean for us so kind of start exploring are there partnerships is it a virtual location is it a digital product or good are you trying to just you know sell something or drive engagement i think brands have a lot of questions to kind of ask themselves before diving headfirst into some of these new spaces these are heavy questions I don't know if it makes everyone else like shiver <laughs> in what the future looks like. I a feel like bit. I have like cold water <laughs> running down my spine right now, but it is the new reality, I guess. Yeah, and when we were when Christina was talking about the um the metaverse, I immediately started thinking like I wonder what this means for the future of work and how we might see it play out, you know, working as marketers um just with everybody kind mm -hmm. of moving towards either a hybrid model or a really flexible work from wherever you want type model. Um, my, my gears just started turning like, how might this impact our day-to-day -day lives just working as, as marketers? <laughs> so um, it'll be interesting right. to see what the future holds for sure. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Well, one thing is we're talking about the metaverse and like the future of all this and it's also a kind of persistent theme that's been coming up in our show is this idea of um, of privacy updates and how the continued regulations and changes are kind of impacting digital. Um, I know we've had a couple episodes with the Island Wheel Dryer um, about the cookie this feature and all of those sorts of things. So Melissa, how are you seeing these changes impact the data that we saw across our advertiser set in Q3? And then Christina, just kind of queuing you up now, trying to get a sense of um, the trends that we're expecting in 2022? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think the main impact that we saw was in paid social. Um, at this point, Amazon and paid search um, haven't really seen a ton of impacts from privacy updates. Um, so, but Facebook and Instagram is where we're really seeing uh, some some privacy impact. So what we're seeing there is that with less trackability, advertisers are having to work with smaller targeting pools. Um, and with smaller targeting pools, you know, it's a little bit more lucrative. They're needing to raise bids in order to compete for those impressions. Um, so, you know, on top of this uh, dynamic that I was talking about earlier with more businesses going online and more people entering that space, um, Facebook and Instagram are like additionally dealing with more limited targeting pools to fight over. And it's kind of compounding um, what we're seeing in terms of increased CPM year over year uh, for, for both of those platforms. So. Um, we're also seeing less reporting visibility uh, with some of the privacy changes, um, and so that doesn't necessarily um, translate to 
direct impact, but you know, if, if advertisers set goals in 2020 for maybe year-over-year growth, for example, um, and then they're unable to track as much revenue, tie as much revenue back to their um, marketing activities as than they previously previously were, um, they may be needing to spend more to push more um, to hit those revenue targets that they had set. If that makes sense. Yeah, and I, I think as as part of that. You know, you mentioned Facebook and Instagram. I think, you know, those are obviously good examples of walled gardens, um, which is going to kind of play an increasingly important role, I think, in in 2022 and beyond. Um, As privacy concerns continue to increase and, you know, visibility into, you know, an individual consumer kind of continue to decrease, there's going to be an emphasis, even more emphasis on first party data. So whether you're collecting it through, you know, email signups and pop-ups on the website or, um, you know, kind of figuring out what is that what is that traded value that you can offer someone and kind of incentivize them to give you their email address in exchange for something else? Is it a sweepstakes? Um, is it a, a promotion for their first purchase or for a repeat purchase, something like that? I think we're going to see more of those types of tactics. And then the second, you know, we started talking about those walled gardens. That's going to be an important piece of the puzzle as well, because if you can't you know, activate against your first party data, you really need to be leveraging these walled gardens and use their information and what they know about um, consumers and and visitors. So I think there's going to be a rise in all of those things, you know, more or increased um, reliance on contextual targeting, really trying to understand what someone is trying to get out of, uh, you know, when they're visiting a website and does it make sense for you to show up there as you know under your brand um or is there a better opportunity somewhere else so i think first party data walled gardens more kind of contextual understanding and targeting i think those will all be really important for 2022 and beyond very true very true Cool. Well, thank you, Christina and Melissa, for joining us today. Super glad to have you guys on. Um, I feel like we've gone through a lot of really good information from Gen Alpha to we were just talking about with privacy to just trends that we've seen over the past few quarters and what we're expecting to um, the beginning of 2022. So again, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. That brings us to the end of our last digital marketing musing episodes of season one. If you have an idea for a future episode, we'd love to hear it. Uh, just drop us a note at digital marketing musings at merkalink.com. And as always, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and uh, rate and review our show. It definitely helps others find us. And please be sure to tell a friend about us. Uh, season two will be launching in early 2022. Can't wait to uh, to visit with you all again. Uh, We have a whole bunch of exciting new episodes and topics that we can't wait to share. And until then, I'm Andrew McCartney. And I'm Gaia Reed. Bye.